try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact. We are all up in your face. It is time, once again, for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Episode 200 and... (laughs) 200 and... I think that's about accurate, right? At this point, 203? 204? Is this 204 now? Maybe it's 204. Uh, I should look and see. I always know what you're talking about before you go on air. That's what that's what I say. Uh, this is 204. Yeah, 204. Uh, Ed Fraser from Heads today. So thank you so much for tuning in, for downloading, for uh, viewing, for, uh, you know, whatever... Whatever manner of thing you are enjoying this particular experience on. It's always appreciated. Uh, well, housekeeping, housekeeping here. Thanks, folks. Uh, sharing things around. If you listen to the show regularly, well, first of all, there's the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reversal. A $1 a month will get you where you need to be to hear all the episodes sooner. So a lot of people have asked about their favorite episodes. You know, why can't I listen to this episode or that episode? It's not on my feed. Well, you need to you need to pay money for that. And otherwise, be patient. Pay money or be patient. Th- those, those are the choices. And for those that uh, don't want to do that and you listen on the free feed, uh, yeah, if you don't already, consider subscribing. Believe it or not, it helps people find the show. And that's a wonderful thing for for everyone, really. And what helps people find the show even more is when you share it around. And I hate hearing like and subscribe, but that is the way we have decided that we want the world to work. So if you like an episode, send it to a friend, send it to an enemy, send it to a frenemy. You know, all of these things will work. But uh, don't keep a secret. That's it. You know, a lot of people have said a lot of really nice things. Thank you very much. And uh, it's awesome to know that folks are out there and listening to this weird little show. But, uh, yeah, I guess let's keep it going if you can. And I'm going to try to keep it going if I can. Sounds like a plan. So, uh, yeah, Ed from Heads coming up. Looking forward to talking to that fella. And let's listen to let's listen to some Heads right now. This is uh, Weather Beaten.
Okay, that's Weather Beaten by Heads. That's off of the new one, Push. This is uh, Push You Out to See. Okay, that was some heads with, it was important before that push you had to see. All those are on the excellent heads record poll. Hey, Conan. How you doing? Ed, do you go by Eddie or Ed? I was going to say Ed Fraser, but I... I... Ed, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, the only the only problem is that your band is called Heads, so it's Ed from Ed from Heads, but maybe that's not a problem so much as a solution. It's confusing for people sometimes. <laughs> as long as I'm not getting called Edward, I know it's all good. That's ah, my real name, but I I only get called Edward by cops or doctors. So. <laughs> that's exactly. If it, if they're using your full government name, it's probably because you're in trouble or you're about to get a diagnosis of some kind, for sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, let me do this, too, before I forget. 
Okay, cool. And uh, yeah, dude, uh, thanks so much for making the time, man. I know it's uh, time zones being what they are. It's it's, it's a little bit different uh, doing something in the in the evening for the for the Yanks, as you probably call them, which always sounds masturbatory to me. But you know, <laughs> the Yankers. Uh, yeah, it's a nice sunny sunny spring morning for me here in Melbourne. So so that's a little different. Yeah. Uh, so we're playing some some tunes off of the record push your, your most recent record, uh, which I quite like. I also one of the things I, I like a lot about it too is that you you have all the information right on the album cover, which I think is sort of like a lost art. Like I feel like they're like jazz records and things that would do that, uh, you know, way back when. But it's just not something you see very much. And was that something? Was that like an aesthetic choice where you're like, hey, let's just go full on pragmatic and useful with this album art rather than you know high art and and things along those lines and i say that because i have some there's some records i love where it's like i would love to know who what album this is and who it's by but apparently everyone's too artsy fartsy to give that information out (laughs) yeah yeah it's kind of the opposite of that i guess it's high Um, function the design (laughs) there's form and function but it's high function (laughs) yeah The designer is a guy called Fabian uh, Bremer, and he's based in Leipzig in Germany. And that was his his concept and his idea. But yeah, I like it because the rest of the record artwork has very little, basically no information on it whatsoever. Right. So you just get everything on the front, the lyrics, who's on it, the whole deal. And like aesthetically, Fabi is a book designer. So oh, most of what he's doing is now that you say that that totally makes sense because it 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 it's, it is kind of like got like a book design sort of element to it. How interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like most of what he's doing is like typesetting and stuff, um, and he's won awards and stuff for book design in Europe. So to me, it like it almost looks like a newspaper. You know. I could see that as well. Yeah, it's definitely got like you you got your headline, uh, which you know, is the name of the name of the record. And you've got your, like, like the A and B side would be like your opinion columns or something along those lines. Um, <laughs> my, my favorite, there was a, uh, cause even though I, I live in Milwaukee now, but I'm from, I'm from the Bay area. Like I'm, I'm from California. And the day after nine 11, not a jovial day, as you might imagine, but the second tier San Francisco newspaper, uh, which was known for its, I'll just go and say cheekiness generally had a 72 point headline that just said bastards <laughs> as, yeah, right. as the headline, which at the time was not funny at all but i was i was like i'm gonna acknowledge that that's gonna be funny someday <laughs> because yeah. it's, just, it's just bastards <laughs> yeah yeah so, so in this case the bastards would be the name of the record which which is push <laughs> yeah. uh cool record i i'm still somewhat flabbergasted by how your band operates and i'm, I'm kind of curious i think most band origin stories are very boring but i'm very curious how it came to pass that you're multi-continent yeah it's like man at the moment being multi-continent is pretty much impossible <laughs> to work sense. yeah exactly yeah so at the moment the band's not really able to operate unfortunately but yeah it, it all just actually happened by chance like I'd um, played in bands in Melbourne for years and I'd always played with friends and people I knew from the scene. 
Um, but with heads, it was completely random, and I didn't know the guys beforehand and stuff. So interesting. I, I'm, yeah. Well, I I turned thirty and decided that I wanted to change my life, basically, and do something different. Mm-hmm. So I sold all my stuff and packed up and moved to Berlin, and uh, got to Berlin, and then was missing playing shows and looking to start a new band. And uh, a friend of mine said to me, if you want to find musicians in Berlin, you should go on Craigslist. Um, coming from Australia, I'd never really used Craigslist before and I had like a bit of a, a chip on my shoulder about it, I guess. Um, <laughs> I was yeah. like, ah, yeah, I don't know. Who's Craig? What's, why, yeah. why would I care about being the list of some fellow named Craig? <laughs> I don't want to be on that guy's list. Fuck that. I don't and, like uh, Craig. Who the hell is he thinking he is? <laughs> How dare he? But yeah, so I, I just completely randomly found those guys on on Craigslist. And really? We, so we it, was like, it was like there was like an ad or so, of some kind. It was it was just like you know. I, well, how specific was the ad? Was was it you know naming bands or was it you know what what was the? I was actually. All it said it was just a headline that said "Bass player looking for new project." Mm. Uh, and I thought oh, I'll click on that, and then on it he'd listed um, the Jesus Lizard, nice. McCluskey, right. and like a bunch of bands I really like with pretty beefy bass tones. And right, it was Chris, right. Pro- proper were, uh, bass <laughs> proper girthy bass rather than uh, you know maybe slapping and popping necessarily. No, no offense to the slappers yeah. and poppers of the world, but. So then, like, and he had a link to like a couple of examples of just basically some riffs that he'd put on SoundCloud, um, and I wrote some ideas over the top of that, like vocals and guitars, mm-hmm. mixed it, sent it back to him, and we just yeah. Then the band was sort of born from there, and we started jamming. And Chris was playing in a, a band called The Ocean at the time, which is this German atmospheric metal band. Uh, and touring quite a lot. So for the first few months of the band, we were just corresponding, sending ideas back and forth. Uh, and our drummer, Peter, was on the road crew for the Ocean at the time. He was like their backliner drum tech or something. Mm-hmm. And he heard the ideas that we were sending back and forth, wanted to get involved, and then that was it. We had a band, like a fairly random, fairly random band. And now six years later... Still going? Yeah, I mean, did you expect? <laughs> did you expect it that it was? It was this your first hit? Like, was this like your first kind of experience playing with folks, or did you have a few kind of like, ah, well, no, not so much. Uh, Pretty it, much, because that's some longevity. You know, that's that's longer than a lot of bands are that have quite a bit more preparation. Let's put it that way. And you guys are still uh, creatively viable and, and doing cool stuff, and that's fantastic. Cheers. Um, yeah, yeah. Before that, I'd never really. I'd never actually really played music seriously, I guess you'd say, you know, like I just kicked around in Melbourne playing, playing in bands with mates. And it was always like, oh, it was the kind of bands where it's more about hanging out really mm, than anything else. I, I know what you're Get talking together. about. I say that, yeah. Yeah. Which was fun, which was great fun, you know, but all through my twenties, that's mostly what I was doing was just playing in bands with friends, drinking beers, 
occasions going on a <laughs> yeah going on tour for like three days you know oh let's go on tour and that was like friday saturday sunday and we'd all be back at work on monday right so this band was the first time i actually really put time and effort into a band and music and and actually taken it seriously and and put a lot of my focus did you, music and, did you have like an end goal in mind for as far as what kind of thing you wanted? I mean, were you wanting to apply yourself to this and have be like, yeah, I want this to be the thing. I want this to be the band that, that does things. Uh, like what, what was the level of kind of pre-planning with that? Uh, and when I say that, I mean like when you were getting together, you know, with Chris and Peter that, uh, were you asking for their availability for like how long can you be gone on tour you know like like how much was it that and how much was it like oh this is something worthwhile uh you know let's invest this amount of time into it like how, how what was the pre determination for it and what was the things that uh, happened with it that were more naturally based yeah well it's actually a bit silly now but <clears throat> the only goal that i had at that time i remember was i just wanted to do art tour of Europe. I was like, I'm going to live in Berlin for a year. I just want to like do some cool. It's a lot easier to tour in Europe when you're starting in Europe, as it turns out. So (laughs) (laughs) that was, that was the extent of my goals. It was like, I just, I was really set on, um, like I just really wanted to tour Europe and just like tick that box as an Australian kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, but then when we actually started making music and then we started getting some really good responses from the music and people started buying the records and coming to the shows, then I started really enjoying it. And like I could put a lot more time and a lot more effort into this because it's actually viable. Right. It's actually a thing. People were responding so I guess to I'm it probably... in a way that, you know, it, it would imply that if you put a little more effort into it, then you might get some rewards out of it rather than just the precursory throwing into a void necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was, yeah, that sort of positive feedback kept me going. Yeah, it's cool. I, I, I guess I'm probably a bit of a late bloomer or maybe a bit of an anomaly like that, whereas most people I know who, who play music really put a lot of time into it in their teens and 20s and all that stuff. Um, I didn't really do that. I guess <laughs> I, I turned I turned eighteen when I turned thirty. Right, right. Well, you know, it's Bukowski didn't start writing until he was thirty-five. You know. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about that first record. So that's the um, that's the one that was like twenty fifteen. Uh, I think I think it's a self-titled one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was just like us jamming, put down a bunch of ideas, and we <clears throat> we drove to Switzerland to record it um, with a friend. There's a huge uh, live venue in a, in a city there called La Chaux de Fond, mm. and there's, there's a big live venue there called Bikini Test, and we wanted to track the whole thing live in the middle of the room. It's called Bikini uh, Test, is that what you said? Yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we drove down to Switzerland. Image, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all wore bikinis during the tracking. It's and, compulsory. Uh, and, uh, no. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we just tracked the whole thing live in this big room, and it was 
it was cool. It was very organic. But we, on the way there, this was my first kind of touring experience, even though it wasn't really playing shows, but we were like driving to Switzerland from Berlin as a band to record so i felt like oh i'm doing it you know like i'm actually <laughs> on the road and i'm doing this thing i really wanted to do yeah how long did that and we last? Got, <laughs> it, it lasted until we hit the border to switzerland because right. we come into the border and i i think i was driving and i was listening to wu-tang clan or something like that as one does and ill-advised at this stage unfortunately because as we came up to this kind of random looking silver building and then the guys were like, oh, I think this is the border. And I go, oh, yeah, cool. And usually at the border to Switzerland, you just drive straight through. Maybe they just check your passports, maybe not. But these guys just stepped out in front of the van. And then next thing we knew, there was all these border guards and they're pulling us out of the van. Oh, they ended up, yeah, they put us in individual cells, strip searched us, pulled the whole van apart. We were there for like four or five hours pretty weird yeah so not big wu-tang fans these guys then no nah. <laughs> <laughs> turns out not down with the wu. we were we were laughing afterwards as well because we were like man we must be the most boring band on the planet because yeah. we didn't have a single <laughs> you know no, we had no we crazy had a whole balls, bunch. no heroin nothing <laughs> they're, they're like, ah. not even not even half a joint nothing all we had was all these bottles of pasta sauce because everything was too expensive in Switzerland. So we bought cheap pasta sauce to eat for the week. On the way. <laughs> that was it. Wait, did, they, did they like open up the pasta sauce to see if there's any contraband or anything in it? I don't think so. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good. Because yeah. you should Who not knows. defile a man's pasta sauce. It's, it's... One of them did have sauce on his mustache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you you go to Bikini Test, you, you track the first record. What kind of things are you thinking about for sounds and stuff when you're when you're making that one? Like, did you have any records in mind? Was it, were you thinking about it in terms of like uh, achieving certain things with making the record, or is it more of documenting the songs as they were at that moment in time? We, I think the only thing we all agreed on was that we wanted a huge sound. That was like the, you know, it was like, yeah. oh, we want it to sound huge. Um, and the Ocean had recorded a record there, or they'd recorded the drums for a record there in the past, and the drums just sounded absolutely massive. So that was a big part of the decision to do it there. And, yeah, it was really just about getting a very organic sound capturing the way the band actually sounded playing together in that room and i think and i bring it up because it it does seem like you've um like the records kind of of give that as a priority of of like hey this is you know not like hey let's use the latest technology to you know auto-tune something or throw in a saxophone or whatever just something that wouldn't be won't sound dated later it's like no this we want to be the rock band in the room and we want to have that documented the best possible way that we can yeah yeah exactly yeah and it's like it's definitely got quite a few mistakes on there and some of the singing's a bit pitchy at times and all this kind of stuff so it's a it's a pretty real record in that sense it is. Uh, I mean, did you have how many how many records have you made b- before that? 
Me personally, yeah. probably three or four, but of varying quality as well. You know, like really like the kinds of records you make when you're 18. Yeah. And, oh, you you guys won the Battle of the Bands. You get three and a half hours in this <laughs> recording studio. It's actually just in some guy's backyard yeah, and he yeah. doesn't know how to use half the gear. Wants to be somewhere else desperately the entire time, you know. Yeah. Uses any and you get the... to try out his new plugins or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Why is there a flanger on all the symbols, you know? And then you get the CD back. It's like, is that what we sound like? Yeah. It's... So I'd made those kind of records before this. And then. I'd put time into a couple of uh, slightly more serious albums, but again, really with no budget, making it as quickly and cheaply as possible. Um, right. Just with mates. Fin- you know? Yeah, finance is kind of being a predominant concern, you know, rather than like what can we do rather than what do we want to do. Yeah, exactly. If we're going to spend this much on recording the record then we need to spend this much on beer and this much on pizza. <laughs> aka the cosmic psychos philosophy i'm sure <laughs> yeah 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 it's real that's that's the vibe uh so i'm interested in hearing about the kind of cultural change for you know being someone that because you were you were born and bred Australian, right? And then you decided yep. to uplift your, uproot your life and try something different. Ended up in Berlin, worst places in the world for uh, being an artist. You know, not so bad. Yeah. Uh, but that's. Uh, did you already speak German? I mean, what's? I mean, what's? What kind of cultural encounters and adventures did you did you have there? Like, was the adjustment quick? Was it difficult? Like, how did you feel about that that change up? The adjustment was long and slow and painful while also being enjoyable, if that makes any sense. Like, it is it is quite different. Berlin's a great place, of course, but there are, yeah, very big cultural differences between German mentalities and Australian mentalities that sometimes is right. difficult and requires a bit of understanding from both sides. Like very simple one but being on time like for an australian if you say 10 o'clock that means like quarter past 10 and for a german <laughs> it's a polite suggestion yeah <laughs> yeah and for a german that means quarter to 10 so they're always exactly. sitting around for half an hour before i get anywhere quietly or not so quietly judging you the entire time <laughs> yeah and i i didn't speak any german i learned it and i can speak now i've lived there for seven years yeah in the end um yeah i loved it but very different the main thing for me was that berlin's such an inspiring place artistically yeah well of course there's there's an incredible history to that that city yeah yeah and there's so many amazing musicians and artists and all kinds of people living there it's just such an incredible place for creativity and then i found all of a sudden that i personally had a lot more free time so rather than working like a regular full-time job in australia and then trying to play in a band on the weekend and then going back to work on monday morning exhausted all of a sudden i had time that i could that i could put into music and that yeah, was great yeah the uh the 
the thing I refer to that you were speaking about is the killing yourself to live aspect of uh, <laughs> of playing music where you spend so much time just trying to maintain so that you can have the time to play your music and then by the time you can actually do it it's like oh well I don't have any energy to do this now and you know or you get like a basic like a glimpse of like wow I bet this would be cool if we could do this just a little bit more that would be nice yeah yeah it's tough what did you for for living in Berlin specifically I mean did you find the that folks were like welcoming to you like as, as a newcomer and as a Auslander. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Generally like Berlin is a city that's just completely full of Auslanders, you know? Yeah. Um, so by and large, most people were, were welcoming and, and friendly. There were some, there were, there were definitely some people who were like, who the fuck is this guy? You know, <laughs> but you're going to get that anywhere. If you come into a new scene, there's always going to be a few people who are territorial or generally resentful at your existence for whatever reason that you can't immediately determine or quantify. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like you get this kind of like, ah, I hate that guy. And then it's like, well, have you met that guy? Why do you hate that guy? It's like, I don't know. I just hate him. You get a bit of that stuff, but, by and large, people were actually really cool and welcoming. And then, you know, times that by a thousand if you have dark skin, let's say, or <laughs> something along those lines, I'm sure, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine how hard that must be. Yeah. So when you when you start in with Heads and you got that first record, it was the... Um, you did some touring with Mets, right? That was still fairly early on. That was like a, about five years ago, right? So 2015, something along those lines? Yeah, those were like um, some of our very first shows. So I think maybe my fifth, sixth, seventh kind of shows with the band were with Mets in Germany, which was really a kind of a turning point for me in terms of like, oh, I could spend a lot more time doing this. <laughs> right, you know? sure, yeah. I mean, this did, is great. Did you find that? I mean, was the band where you wanted it to be at that point? Did you have any like discoveries or anything? Especially, you know, playing with a prestigious band and you know, and a good band and not wanting to blow it too. You know, wanting to hold your own. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm driving at something because I have a, I have a friend who, an ex bandmate actually, who said that. He always feels that a band has to play about ten shows before they really know who they are. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, and I don't know why it's arbitrarily ten, but I always think about that whenever I see new bands. Like, oh, what 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 show number is this? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like with us, it was about fifty shows before we. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, you know, hey, late bloomer. I feel we like established we've established it. Yeah, I feel like we've only really hit our stride live kind of recently actually like last year ish year before because i mean i personally had never sang in bands really up until very recently too i was always just kind of playing guitar and okay yeah i was just kicking around playing guitar for people mostly um did you want to like were you like secretly writing lyrics with the idea that maybe you'd do something or was it just something that never really occurred to you it never really occurred to me. Yeah, I read a lot, and I'm like, my mum's an English literature teacher, and I'm like right into the English language. 
Um, and I think at one point I just kind of got a little bit fed up of playing in bands where I didn't like the lyrics of the singer. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it myself. Well, um, and, and the reason why I'm, I'm going down that line of questioning is because it does seem like, like the lyrics are very literate. Like they're, you know, without necessarily being overly precious or pretentious about it, uh, you know, it's there's some there's some meat behind it and it, it it's interesting to say that you didn't you know didn't weren't originally doing vocals because it seems like there's a lot of thought that's been put into it so it's interesting that it would be something that you come at kind of later at life but it seems like you attacked it pretty hard uh, yeah. when you did i mean did you have like lyricists and and vocalists and singers from people so on in mind that you wanted to try to you know pull from or not necessarily steal from but uh, try to put yourself in that kind of image. Like, who were the who were the people that you were thinking of when you were wanting to be the type of lyricist and vocalist that you ended up being? Honestly, lyrically, nobody consciously. Like, there's heaps of heaps of singers where I love what they're saying and I love how they say it, and I'm I, I find their lyrics inspiring. And I'm sure I'm being inspired by stuff all the time without realizing it as well. Um, but in terms of like consciously um, aspiring to be like a particular songwriter or particular lyricist, there was nobody. I just really feel like I have something that I want to say. And then I just, I just put pen to paper and I just, I just have to say it. It's a, I, I've realized uh, in the last few years that I've become an unhappy person if I'm not expressing myself mm. creatively. I'm not able to say this thing hurt me or I'm unhappy about this or this thing's painful or whatever. If I can't say that creatively, then I, I actually get really unhappy. Right. So it's, it's an, I have this need, you know, just... Yeah, no, and and then you know there is a drive behind it, and it was it was more just sort of, you know, not the who are you ripping off, but I mean everyone takes influence from somewhere, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just just to clarify, uh, what. All right, like. his name's Larry, and he lives next door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, just does, don't tell him. He does he does fine work, but he plays a ska band, a reprehensible genre. <laughs> Most literate ska yeah. songs you've never heard. <laughs> well, back to your earlier question. I definitely remember playing those shows with Mets and then being like, well, we've got a really, really long way to go as a live band. If yeah, because they're, I mean, they're a ripper live act. Like, it's it's a kind of a oh, yeah. nature. <laughs> like, it's, it's, yeah. it's like a brutalist assault almost to a certain degree, right? So It's killer. It's so good. And then, and then they get off stage and then they're just such nice people as well. So it's, it was, it was, that was very formative, and I feel really lucky that we got to do that uh, so early as a band, and that that was definitely very inspiring for me. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, did you take away things from that presentation that you were like, ah, that's we need to do things more like this, or informed what you were doing based on seeing them, you know, do their thing and like working relatively effortlessly as a finely tuned machine when they do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely just the way they just, yeah, the way they just ripped it. 
and then managed to be kind of cool as well. Yeah. Um, where I I found that I was like trying to talk on stage and have a bit of on stage banter, and just I guess just like anything else, if you haven't really done it before, you're not going to be any good at it. And I, I just I found that I was coming off stage and just going, what the hell was like? Why did I say that? That was so stupid, you know. Like so, I realised I had to kind of I had to up my on stage banter game, and like there was a lot of things to learn. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, if I was teaching rock and roll school, I would definitely uh, attempt to teach a banter class, and which is also to say that do not do it unless you are of a certain skill level because you will learn to regret it, and your bandmates certainly will learn to regret it as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You're not only kind of embarrassing yourself, you're also embarrassing everyone standing on stage. Secondhand <laughs> embarrassment yeah. is, a, is, is a real thing. Yeah. So <laughs> you're playing those those early shows uh, with Mets. But what I find interesting is that uh, you, know, you also did the like, run of shows with Proto Martyr, a very different kind of band, like very different kind of presentation. Uh, you know, but that said, like, it's like, no, it works. It, it seems like it would work from an outside perspective. I mean, did you feel that uh, that was a good pairing? Did you feel like there was a, a lot of things that – could you get over on on the proto martyr crowd where they open to what you were doing yeah yeah i felt like they were i felt like that somehow worked as well because we i guess we heads have some sort of spoken word elements at times um and there's a general spoken word darkness <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's like a general kind of discontent disillusionment yeah. that, that kind of fits with both of those bands i guess um just manifest so yeah. in a slightly different way perhaps but you know <laughs> yeah just get up on stage and be kind of unhappy and their crowd <laughs> their crowd accepted us <laughs> uh yeah there's a great there's the, there's a great theory of ruin alex newport's least known band has a song called uh, Let's Get Depressed, which I always always like very much as a song title. <laughs> nice. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, so then, as you're exploring, you know, doing actual European tours, as you're exploring being, uh, you know, a person playing in a band, and you're you're doing it largely in this other country this other part of the world and culturally there are things that are different so did you did you think that again just as you as a human being had to adjust like were there any kind of weird adjustment periods or uh in anything that was sort of a clash of cultures that happened uh, early on with these shows fully yeah totally um i feel like it took about two years uh for me to kind of really start to feel comfortable there's a certain kind of directness that Germans can have in general, and then Australians tend to have a far less direct. Yeah. yeah, no worries, mate. Everything's no worries, even when really maybe there are some worries. You know? <laughs> <laughs> whereas, whereas with Germans, it's like, how are you? Ah, uh, you know, I'm terrible. I have a headache and <laughs> sleep. So I, that's I have irritable like, bowels right now. Oh wow, I didn't expect yeah. you to say that. Okay. 
so this kind of, but there's this kind of like particularly in east germany i guess and i'm completely generalizing here but uh that's fine you've there's the sort of, yeah <laughs> there's sort of a confrontational standoffishness mm. that opens relationships often so you meet someone <laughs> right sure and the, the, the relationship opens with this sort of confrontation mm-hmm. and a kind of unspoken confrontation i guess and if you then shy away from that no respect for you but if you mm. if you stand up to that and you're like equally as confrontational in return then then your best mates sounds like uh, prison i mean <laughs> it is it, it is <laughs> maybe not the best mates part but it, it, yeah okay <laughs> but i came to really love this thing about berlin especially and but east germany too where like no one was sort of unnecessarily interested in what you were doing and they kind of just don't really give a shit about <laughs> like if it's someone you don't know right <laughs> and you walk into a bar and you're like can i have a beer they're like cool here's a beer and that's it there's not they don't want anything else from you that you know there's nothing else and initially i was like oh everybody hates me but then after <laughs> just a couple taking of years, the worst possible interpretation of that <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah it's me but then after a couple of years i was like uh nobody is overly intrusive so i can just be completely anonymous and this is awesome like i actually kind of really love that kind of taking the the elements that some might take as a negative and and turning that around uh into something because i mean you mentioned you were uprooting your life and and changing you know everything about your life so uh, yeah, I suppose how you choose to perceive things and whether you choose to take certain things personally or something along those lines could definitely be part of that as well. Like, exactly. Yeah, it's a growth. It's just a personal growth. Yeah, or as they as they say, personal growth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then, I think it was 2017. Uh, I know you played some shows with the uh, Buildings and Fashion Week. Uh, you, fantastic folks, fantastic, great American noise rock bands. You know, did you feel there was affinity and common cause like immediately with, with those guys? Did you feel that like you were of one mind? It kind of seemed like it was a, a bromance from afar. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We got along really well from the beginning. Um, and I still, still really consider those guys friends. Um, we came to the US in 2018 and the last show was in Minneapolis and we got to do that with buildings and we stayed at their house and it was like really like a bit of a reunion. It was super nice. Did Brian put on the Michael Myers mask and dance around to that smell uh, with a big butcher knife? Because <laughs> I had that experience. Unfortunately not. <laughs> That was real high at the time, and that never happens. <laughs> that sounds like quite the experience, Conan. <laughs> it's a very specific ask. I didn't know if he pulled it on all the touring bands or just us. but uh... I'm definitely going to ask him now. <laughs> next time I, see him. I might have video of it somewhere, but uh, I don't know. Oh, please send that to me. I'll, I'll look around for it, yeah. <laughs> uh... no, that, was, that was fun. We had, we had a really good time, and... 
with buildings we went through spain and the south of france and stuff and did like a bunch of touristy things together like climbing a sand dune and looking at a church and eating a croissant it was <laughs> sure yeah totally it was really nice yeah and that's like that's just that's that's the stuff about touring as well that's so addictive too i think it's not just the shows it's also obviously the the friendship and the camaraderie and the sand dunes yeah that wasn't it that, that was and it was something where i remember i remember thinking two things about seeing that routing uh one of which is like oh they're playing a lot of like the best places in those cities and they're playing with some of the best bands that's awesome and then also being like so they're just Indian Minneapolis. They're not just not going. Any- oh, okay, interesting. Uh, but then again, the United States of America is huge and very. Yeah, uh, it takes a very long time to traverse, and some areas are less inclined to like weirder music than others too. So, uh, it, it, yeah, I, I, I both was surprised and not surprised at all at the same time. Yeah, I would. I. I I also found out that I'm kind of built for touring. I real I only realized this once I actually started doing it. Right, and but that's really the only way just, you ever know is if you just you start doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not everyone likes it as much as I do and wants to do it for as long as I do. I guess as well. Whereas I just kind of stay on the road and keep playing shows. But my bandmates don't always like to do such long tours, which is you know that's cool. We had planned we were we were going to come back to the states uh, in 2020 and probably try and do some West Coast stuff and maybe Texas and places like this that we hadn't been to before, uh, maybe Milwaukee, but yeah, maybe next year. I've never actually been to Milwaukee. My only association is Wayne's World. I oh, of like. course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's if you like beer. Milwaukee is a is a great place. Like all, there's just a million different breweries, and they're all great. It's all you know the the eat <laughs> the most overrepresented easy drinking beer is like better than like most places craft beer. You know what I mean? It's, it's very. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a town that likes its drinking, but there's a lot of there's a very long history of cool and interesting music, and uh, really cool folks as well. I mean, I I know it before I lived here. I know it from touring. And always, yeah. you know, I think it took four or five times before we ever had a good show in Chicago, but Milwaukee was great from the jump and always was. And, uh, yeah, I think it's an underrated city, and it, it bums me out that so many tours will skip it sometimes. They'll play Madison in Chicago or Minneapolis in Chicago, and it's like, oh, well, kind of missing mm-hmm. out. But then Milwaukee can also fall prey to something that I know happens in other places as well, which is to say uh, – people don't come out for shows that they should sometimes mm-hmm. you know yeah. the, co- the cool kids got to give it the okay you know whether they're going to admit it or not but that's certainly not just a milwaukee thing don't get me wrong but it's something i've noticed far more living here than visiting let's put it that way yeah okay yeah yeah so then tell me how you came to uh recording collider and that record and how that came to be and you know what did what did you learn off of the first one? Obviously, you'd play you just been a band longer at that point. You'd played a lot more shows. Uh, it was louder and angrier, almost right, like a little bit more like finely yeah. honed of, of what you did. Like, 
Where, what was in the thought process with doing that one? What was that recording process like? So that one was like, um, I, I personally paid a lot more attention to detail on, on that record. So the first one was like, uh, let's get in and be a band and, uh, track everything live and cool done. Um, but then after, uh, a couple of years of sort of playing shows on it and listening back to it and being like, ah, oh, yeah, I probably could have put a bit more time into the vocals there. Or, you, know? yeah, you don't get it. You don't uh, get a uh, merit badge for uh, leaving everything completely unadorned, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Collider, I, I decided to spend a lot more time working on details and I really pre-production uh, I spent hours and hours and hours, weeks and months working on lyrics, working on guitar lines. Um, and as a whole band, we did. We put a lot more effort and time into arrangements and making more of a, a complex and detailed album, um, I guess. And then <clears throat> recording, we we spent three weeks at a friend's studio, which is about... 45 minutes away from the city of Nuremberg in Germany. Um, and it's a place called Ghost City, which we recorded with a friend of ours called Jan Kircher. And there's no distractions there whatsoever. So you're just, oh, it's an fantastic. old. Yeah, yeah. So you're just, you're just able to create and you aren't going to have people wandering yeah. off to go do this fun thing or that fun thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like live there, sleep there, eat there. And I, it was a bit like The Shining, I guess. Like I, I spent three weeks there because I also have to be part of the whole process because I'm there for the tracking and then I'm there for the guitar overdubs and then I'm there for the the vocals. So I just uh, lived and breathed that album for three weeks. And I, I think I only actually left the studio twice in mm. three weeks to like go go walk around in the woods on my own. So it was yeah, a yeah. very... Just take a breather of some kind. <laughs> yeah. It was very immersive, quite an intense experience. Um, but I feel like we captured what we wanted to capture. Yeah, so you, you felt like it did what it wanted you, what you wanted it to do as far as the kind of record you wanted to make and doing justice to those songs and things along those lines. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. It was the first time I'd ever put that much time and effort into anything, and right. um, it felt like it was worth it in the end. Did you find that? Uh, how did you feel about the reaction? Yeah, that's. I felt. I. I think the thing with heads tends to be people are are either like, ah, oh, yeah, that band. Yeah, I don't really like them, <laughs> or. <laughs> Or they're like, I this is the the thing that describes my soul and my deepest, you right. know, darkest. So people tend to either be kind of obsessed with it or not really fussed, which is cool, you know. Um, in that, like, I've had people come up to me after shows and write to me and all kinds of things and say, uh, "Your album." collider is like a self-help record for me or wow, <clears throat> it's awesome. really yeah. i've had this like a, a heap of times 
a whole bunch of different people who are like, these songs speak to me. It's helped me through some difficult stuff. Um, which is like it was those songs are about pain for me personally as well. So if people can connect to it on that level and it's helpful for them in their life, awesome. I couldn't ask for more in terms of that. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of... <laughs> It, it sort of gives you an idea of it being a little more important than the people that are like, oh, yeah, whatever, those guys, you know, like, All right, well, it's not for them. That's fine. It's okay. It's yeah. for the people that it's for, and, you know, it, it has a positive reaction in the world, and no one can ever take that away from you, nor should they try. Yeah. So then, and what, and around that time too, that's when you, I mean, you played with some American bands. I know you, you did a bunch of shows with Multicult, uh, Whores, right? You played with Whores and, um, yeah. Vincus, right? I mean, I think you did, uh, like there's a whole run of like basically like the, the new, <laughs> the new wave of American noise rock bands, uh, kind of coming through. It's like, oh, they're playing with heads. Okay, cool. Like, oh, they're, they're the band that plays with all the bands that they, they come through. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did we did a, a run, a US run with Vincus and Multicult, which was awesome. Um, and like everyone in those bands was just so hospitable and welcoming and helpful. I've really heard that about touring in the US, but I'd never experienced it personally. But like the payments or the venues or the conditions are sometimes nicer and cushier in Europe. Oh. Like you get dinner in a hotel and breakfast and stuff. I was going to say, it's a reasonable assumption, yes. <laughs> but then the uh, <laughs> but then the bands in the US will, like they make up for that because they go out of their way to be so hospitable and they put you on the good slot and they let you use their gear and they, oh, here you crash at my mate's place. You can sleep on my couch you know it's just yeah it's it's awesome well and as someone who kind of come to came to touring somewhat later i mean did you find that that type of interaction that type of community building uh like how did that affect you was that something where uh, you were like kind of taking it to heart as being part of a larger whole or something along those lines i mean because it kind of seems like you guys slotted right in pretty easily and you know for good reason it's sort of I think the genre of music is in and of itself a bit of a BS detector. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but by the same token, you know, you never know. Like people can be dicks too in any genre of music. So. <laughs> yeah. But did you find that you, did you feel like you were being part of, that there was like an emerging part of a community uh, as far as that goes? Or was it just something where, okay, we're all just doing the thing and, and make, make it on best we can. Oh, fully part of the part of the community, and people definitely helped us feel part of a community. Um, it's beautiful, man. Like I, if I think about it now, um, I have friends in countries and cities and places all over the world that I know through music and through, for me, like a relatively short time right. in touring music. But I have people I consider good friends all over the world and it, they're also like fast friendships you know like the people that you you get in a van with and you play three shows with or something like that and you spend like quite an intense time together but only for a few days right. and then you don't see them again for four years but i you still consider them this person's a really good a good mate of mine 
Yeah, you can, um, you can kind of pick right up where you left off when you see him again, too, because you have that, uh, you know, what I imagine to a much lesser degree it must be for people that are like war buddies or something along yeah. those lines, you know, not not to <laughs> not to belittle the act of war or the act of being a soldier, but it, it is that sort of deep, that deep bond and friendship that, that only can happen with a certain type of experience and seeing the world through a certain uh, way in a certain lens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. So the the new record, Push, it's much smaller gap of time between uh, the second one and the third one than the first and the second one. Uh, yeah. What, how, how did these songs all come to pass? Like, how is this something where... You know, it's not like you guys were sitting around doing nothing. Like it's you were pretty busy as a band. Like, what was the what was the impetus behind this record, and what drove you to being like, okay, this is this is what we're gonna do now? Like, did you have the idea like we're gonna do another record, or was it just the songs kind of came out naturally at, at that time? Like, how did Push as a record come to be? I I really didn't want to take three years between records again. I really, really wanted things to happen a bit more quickly because um, I like I feel like I got stuff I need to say. That's part of, you know, that's the songwriting for me. Is I, I have to say this thing, um, and yeah, being busy people and in different projects and stuff, uh, we just decided, you know what, let's we're going to do it. We're going to make it this year. We gave ourselves a date. Um, I think which was like about nine or ten weeks away from where we were at that time. We're like, all right, you know what? Yeah, the Nothing opposite like of collider. Yeah, I was gonna say that's quite, yeah. that's quite the whiplash from process. <laughs> yeah, and, and our our drummer Peter had joined the Ocean full, as a full time member, so he used to be their roadie and then became their synth player. Uh, so we got a new drummer in. And Peter used to live in Hamburg while me and Chris lived in Berlin. So that made rehearsals and stuff quite complicated. It wasn't always easy. So we recruited a new drummer, a guy called Nick Stockman, who lives in Berlin as well. And we're like, all right, the three of us are in Berlin. We have our own studio rehearsal space in a basement somewhere. We got nine weeks. Let's do it. You know, let's just make it, let's just write an album and then, We've rehearsed almost every day for like nine weeks. Like we just went in and we just worked, worked and worked and worked and worked. And it was kind of like we finished rehearsal, you know, on Sunday night and turned our amps off. And then Monday morning we set up, we drove to the studio, set up and started recording. So it was really no space, just just get it done, which is sort of part of why the record's called Push, I guess. We I just mean, really <laughs> it's a very literalist translation, but pushed it out. <laughs> but it, it's, it's something where, I mean, did you feel that that extra, did you feel extra pressure that you were putting on yourselves uh, because of that? I, I love that. I personally really like pressure. Right. I can't, I can't speak for the other guys, but for me, pressure is definitely a good thing. I played a lot of basketball and sports and stuff growing up. And if you give, if, put a bit of pressure on and you can you can make things work in a different way i think so 
it was good. Because I, I think if we hadn't done that, if we hadn't gone like, you know, here's a deadline, we'd probably still be writing the album now. <laughs> right. And, and there's, there's kind of, I mean, there's a saying that for some uh, pressure will break break you and for others the pressure makes a diamond and it just depends on the person. Yeah, yeah. I think as a band we definitely responded to that pressure. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really proud of that album. It's an interesting record. I mean, I certainly like it. Did you want to do uh, – I, I got to be mindful of time here since we had a little bit of a kerfuffle, uh, which is literally the only allusion I will make to that. Uh, but every once in a while I'll go through this thing. We'll just go through song by song. Yeah. And uh, you can just tell me a little bit about anything you like about that, whether it's about the, the lyrics, you know, with the song itself, like the recording process, whatever, whatever springs to mind on it. Does that sound good? Let's do it. All right. So first one of the records, Empty Towns. So this one has uh, Christoph Hahn from Swans playing lap steel, um, which I just love. I love the idea that he's that he's playing lap steel on it. And it's a bold choice, um, too, to have that as the first one, too, because they're like, oh, what? Hmm? Hmm, interesting. Yeah. 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 So that's it's a bass loop from Chris. He's got a he's got some huge industrial loop going. And then Christoph Hahn came in, played some lap steel over the top of that, and then I basically riffed on the top of his uh, lap steel. So I was able to bounce my vocals off the guy from Swans, which is that's pretty fun for me. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. So vocally, where where were you uh, where were you coming at with that one? Mm, I tend not to explain too much what's going on sure. uh, lyrically because I really like to leave it open to interpretation for people, and especially when I have people come up to me like, "Hey, man, uh, your album." is really helpful for me. I want to leave that. I want to leave that for them. You don't want to push their interpretation away, but well, actually it's, it's about a banana. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Exactly. Actually, man, that song's about a banana. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, you but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, lyrically, that song calls calls forward to the last song on the record, which it's connected to. Yeah, and it also they almost kind seem of, like uh, like bookends, like the yeah. record, like uh, that song. Those songs are like bookends, exactly. And they call back and forth to each other. Uh, there's a few key lyrical phrases. And then there's a bunch of lyrical phrases that happen throughout the record on different songs, and they're all so actually lyrically the whole album's kind of connected, but I won't I won't give any more detail than that. It's banana theme, but it's okay. <laughs> so then, uh, how about a second song, "Weather Beaten"? Mm. This has got to be. <clears throat> One, just about the most fun song to play live uh, ever for me. Yeah, it's, it's, a it's super heavy. It's it's pretty heavy. I can just kind of yell the whole time. Um, 
yeah, this song was just very organic. We wrote it in the room. It was heavy. We're like, cool, let's keep it heavy. Tracked it live in the studio. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's done. Yeah. You don't need it. Don't need any uh, sousaphone. You don't need any uh, class. <laughs> any string sections necessarily you know sometimes it works sometimes that's it that yeah does what it's supposed to do and it don't just get out of the way um, yeah it was one of those ones where as soon as it's written it's like okay we're not touching that song it's yeah. done you know so. right, right uh how about push you out to sea uh this one has a couple of guests on it uh, a guy called Matthias Feit, who plays in a German band called Redata, which is a sort of uh, instrumental, uh, amazing instrumental German band, sort of somewhere in the vein of like Boren and the Club of Gore kind of style. Um, so Matthias plays a bit of extra guitar on there, some some nice bends in the verses. And, and then my wife... Uh, Rosa Mercedes plays uh, some feedback guitar in the middle section as well, which was super fun. Um, she's usually a bass player and a singer, but she just happened to be in the studio when we were tracking the some extra guitars in this, and we we're like, you know what, just get some feedback on there. Yeah. And she was in typical fashion, was like, hell yes, <laughs> right. got in there. <laughs> got in there and just immediately had the guitar up against the speaker, you know? Yeah. How about loyalty? Loyalty. Um, I, I enjoy this song because of the way that the pieces fall off at the end. Um, so it's like a somewhat traditional Song, song structure up until about halfway through um, when we decided to just just let the ending play out and do its own thing um, and just slowly remove pieces but really being quite patient so over a couple of minutes it's sort of we just slowly take away one little bit at a time until we're left with nothing um, and we had a, a video made for that recently by an Australian filmmaker That's right, called yeah. Wilson Bambrick. Thank you. I think you even have it uh, as as your default on one on one of the social media things. I can't remember what it was probably uh, Facebook. I think right. Is that the? Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. He um he he shot this video for us, and it's it's pretty interesting because it was filmed between Melbourne and country Victoria, but we filmed it in a, in a former commune in rural mm. Victoria. So okay. it's like this sort of this hippie land commune where they were, were trying to create some new system of building houses out of mud, brick and hay. Ambitious. That seemed to be about, yeah, that seemed to be about the extent of their philosophy. I was going to say, how did that work out for them? Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Did they sort it? <laughs> yeah, because that's the communes. It's done, you know. It's over. Yeah, we've achieved the goal. Check. We, we made so we went out there and <laughs> yeah, we went out there and there's a there's a bunch of mud huts, but most of them don't have the commune members living in them anymore. And I basically just walked around in the bush. And Wilson filmed me being a creep. 
Basically. <laughs> That's suitable for the song. It works. You, you should see the the outtakes. <laughs> did you did you did you lay on the creep on the outtakes? Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a scene where I'm chopping wood, but didn't make the cut, unfortunately. It's pretty good. Save it for the solo album. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about Rusty Sling. Um, so this was initially going to be just a big instrumental piece, um, just like a sort of post-rock, post-rocky instrumental song, which we hadn't really put on an album, anything like that before. Yeah, it's a little different from from some of the other songs, yeah. Yeah, but I couldn't leave it alone, and I just had to put some vocals in there in the end because it just i don't know that middle section it just really felt like it needed something so um it became the instrumental post-rock song with vocals <laughs> Got, gotta throw my bone now and again a post, yeah a post-rock yeah. bone <laughs> nobody moves and everybody talks mm. this one's also really fun to play live because I can kind of get into a, a bit of a character. Um, so it's probably the fastest song we've ever played as a band. Initially, when we started, we had this thing where we were like, whatever we do, it's going to be slow. You yeah, know? it seemed very deliberate, so, almost, uh, you know, not quite steamroller of doom or anything, but uh, <laughs> just very deliberate, like very deliberately paced. It was, yeah, it fully was. Like, we'd even write a song and then be like, let's slow it down a little bit um, regularly in the beginning. And then Peter would, you know, take 10 BPM off it and we'd play everything that much slower. We stopped doing that now and just let things, if they're fast, we've just sort of kind of let them be fast. So this, this I reckon, is the fastest song we've ever, we've ever played. And I love doing it live because I can get into this into this character and just let it rip. It's good. It's good fun. Lay into it. It was important. This, um, this was pretty difficult to track, uh, vocally because initially I had this vocal that was like a sort of almost like a stream of consciousness kind of improvising, um, it was made to sound like that basically hmm. um, so when I initially wrote the vocals on a demo I wrote them and then worked them to make them sound as though it's sort of stream of consciousness like which was pretty challenging but then to try and replicate that exactly uh, in the studio later was even more challenging <laughs> right because things that would have just came out extemporaneously very easily you're now articulating it in a way that uh you know you're like okay where, where does it go from here you know you're, you're thinking about yeah. it rather than using the, the subconscious and the uh or like the, the cut up method so to speak uh mentally yeah yeah exactly uh there's that that short one uh swarming tide so this was um this is like sort of an intro to the next song yeah paradise but you did but you um, put it as its own song so was that mm. for sequencing purposes or uh did you did you specifically want it to be seen as its own thing 
definitely want it to be its own standalone song. Yeah. And I feel like it stands on its own legs. So I, I really wanted it to 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 be its own song and have its own meaning, but then lead into the next track. Sure. Um, yeah. But it was, I wanted the, I remember track trying to track the guitars because it's just guitars. And um, I wanted them to feel loose, but then be r- <clears throat> relatively in time. And I was having a really hard time getting the f- the feel of it right. Excuse me. So, and we tried it with a click and like all this different stuff. No click, wasn't working. <clears throat> and then Christoph uh, Bartel is uh, the guy who engineered the record. Uh, he plays in a German rock band called Kadava. with this amazing, mm. amazing German metal band. And he's the drummer and he's this, you know, he's this incredible drummer. And it's a comparison that gets made a lot, but with Christoph, I think it really fits. He's, you know, when he plays drums, he's like an animal from the Muppets. Like really, <laughs> Certainly, yeah. It's, it's, I'm sure there's plenty of drummers who have that same have... comparison, but it's, it's uncanny. Yeah. I've, I've played with a couple of them, but it's, it's kind of a, it's an awesome shorthand because everybody knows what that means, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> everybody knows exactly what that means. So he's a, he's a maniac. And then he, so he's, it's just me and him in the studio. It's pretty late at night and I just can't get the, the feel of this guitar. And he is like, you know what? I'm going to let me play this bongo mm. and we're going to do it like this. Keep it real minimal. Yeah. Yeah. So he pulls like a bongo out of the corner of the room and he's just sitting there very lightly, uh, just tapping on it. And it worked first time, like total genius. But for me, it was amazing to see Christoph. This he's also very tall. Like I'm I'm tall. I'm like six three. He's like six seven, six eight. Jeez. Um <laughs> so to see I the only other uh I'd only ever seen him playing drums like an absolute maniac. So to see, you know, six foot eight, Christoph just lightly tapping this, this bongo was good fun. <laughs> just, just tapping it away. <laughs> uh, so then, yeah, yeah. So paradise. That's the uh, you know that that's that's kind of near the end from a perspective of sequencing, right? Where you. Did you have the sequencing in mind ahead of time, or was it something where that kind of let, it, let itself be Pretty known as you recorded the songs? A bit of both. Pretty early on, um, I had an idea of the order I wanted things to go in. Um, and once we had more of a solidified order, I could then work the lyrics as well to kind of fit that. Right. Um, but this one has uh, Christoph Hahn from Swans is on it again, playing this epic lap steel thing at the end. Um, and that was really cool because we asked him to play on the record and he was like, yeah, sure, why not? We didn't know him. <laughs> and then the next day he's there in the studio. Had you, had you and... met him before or was it just kind of? No. Oh, okay, right on. Yeah, none of us. So uh, 
a friend of ours, a guy called Busty Grimm, was doing photo and video while we were tracking, and we were talking about maybe getting a lap steel player or someone to come in, um, and we spoke about, oh, you know, it'd be good, Christoph from Swans would be good. He yeah. lives in Berlin. <laughs> and Basti was just hanging around with the camera and he's like, oh, I think I know someone who knows someone. I'll get you an email address. And within a couple of hours, he had an email address for me. And I sent an email and then, you know, a few hours later, I got one back and then he was in the studio uh, within a day or two after that. It was it was almost too easy. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the kind of thing where you keep waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he, uh, he just... Yeah, we sent him a couple of tracks and he came in and just played just the most beautiful lap steel on it. First take kind of stuff, you know, just first take, perfect, cool, right. done, next. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to have those people around. Yeah. <laughs> Where you're not, you're not, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's time to get the job done and it's like, oh, there's the job. Okay, great, done. Okay, there we are. You see that you see the experience there, you know, like this is someone who's been doing it for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um Made a lot with of some really with some pretty <laughs> intense individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And with some amazing musicians. Of course, like, yeah. Yeah. It's really like seeing someone who's at the top of their game. So then that brings us back around to the end, which is also the beginning, which is the As Your Street Gets Deserted, which is the last song that kind of Mobius Strip ties it back into the beginning piece. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so lyrically I call back to like a bunch of stuff that's happened on the record, but uh, if people want to listen to it, I'll let them listen to it and make up their mind about that. It's a banana. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My secret, and uh, there's a another guest on this one is a guy called uh, Marcus Lipka, who plays in a sort of seminal German band called Eisenfather. Mm. Um, so he plays like some extra, extra guitars on this as well, like a sort of pad thing that happens. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. That's the record push. And it's on all the things that you think a record like that would be on. Uh, you can find it, you know, Spotify. Uh, Bandcamp is always preferred by me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, iTunes, all, all the places. They're, you know, you're, you guys lucked out in the fact that it came out right about the time that you can't actually do any touring. So that's a, that's a bit of a drag then. Yeah, it's crazy. Like... Yeah, I know a lot of people are in the same boat, so music industry. It's pretty tough, but yeah, bad timing, bad timing for us. I think we put the record out on May 29, end of May. And um, yeah, I guess probably next year, hopefully, is when we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do some shows. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful about that too, but... Sometimes you yeah. you see some folks and you just gotta wonder. Where it's like, okay, this is this is this is where you're choosing to make your stand, huh? All right. Yeah, I I had a I have a solo project under Ed Fraser as well, and we had a bunch of shows booked with uh, buildings in April May through Europe. We we're gonna do this like 
I think three weeks with buildings through Finland and like all these places. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I saw tra- I, I saw remember- Travis on uh, at Mortimer's at literally the second to last show that we played because uh, we had to scrub that we had to kill the rest of the dates. We got through two of them, and uh, he was, yeah. at the time it was still like. And maybe it was gonna happen. Maybe it wasn't, but he wasn't super hopeful about it. Um, yeah, yeah. Was, I I still remember being like six weeks out from that or something, and being like, "Oh, let's not cancel the tour yet." You know, like <laughs> everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> this is all gonna blow over. Yeah. And now I'm thinking, like, man, I hope we can play shows next year. Yeah, exactly. As the as the goalposts move on even further, the yeah, I mean, it's you're not the only one that that felt that way, and that's been something that mm. you know, talking to folks during these these quarantine times, it would have been possible to do that if everyone had just acted responsibly. But you see the problem. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 a bummer, and I'm sorry to hear it because I I think it's a great record. It's like uh, it's, it's I'm really glad to have had you on to talk about it and talk about the rest of the band, and hopefully one of these days I'll actually get to see you play. Uh, you know that would be nice. You know when there are shows again, whenever that happens. Yeah. To be. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully next. Hopefully next year in Milwaukee we'll have a beer. There you go. We'll have, we'll have maybe even more than one. <laughs> yeah. That's entirely possible. What um so you've heard the show. I close it out. One question. Why do you do what you do? Can't not do it. Brilliant. <laughs> it's a great talk. Good on you, Conan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really brother. appreciate it. And uh anytime. And uh Yeah, watch it watch out for uh Watch out for those kangaroos, man. Watch out. <laughs> we, watch out for those watch out for those bears. Yeah, I was gonna say, everyone in America thinks that there's like a kangaroo infestation. Like they're just around, like, you know, hanging out all the time. And uh Oh, there is. I, I liken it to oh, I think I'm repeating myself here. When Jem from Dead was on, uh people here think it's like how alligators are in Florida. Which is to say, constantly involved and like in the news all the time, like alligator involved news items, things along those lines. But uh, mm. like alligator crashes birthday party. Yeah, I mean, my favorite was the fellow who who grabbed an al- grabbed an alligator and ran into like a liquor store and like tried to steal something, but he was like carrying he was, he was carrying the alligator the entire time. I mean, that's peak Florida man. Pretty much. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know, alligators in the swimming pool, you know, alligators uh, interrupting, you know, nursery rhymes at the preschool, just wandering through, you know, alligators involved. So that is what people in the U.S. generally think of uh, down under is that it's just kangaroos 24-7-365. Well, there is this guy here who grabbed a kangaroo and carried it into a liquor store. and. They put a bunch of beers in its pouch and then he ran out again. History doesn't repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. <laughs> uh, Ed, Ed, great talking to you, man. We'll do you it again too. sometime. Take it easy. All right, brother. Take care. Ciao, ciao. All right. So let's hear a song from the record. Uh, this is going to be... 
Off of the record push, this is the band Heads. Right on. Thanks for listening, everybody.
Azure Street gets deserted. Heads, that's a closing, closing song on the record. Is this thing on? Push. And before that, of course, we had Rusty Sling. So get those in all the wrong places to get records, man. Headsnoise.bandcamp.com. Heads, Spotify, iTunes, all that business. Uh, there's a couple of videos and stuff. They're on Instagram. They're on... Uh, oh, the places that you think that a band might be on, perhaps. Is this thing on? Well, that was lovely. I think I'm. <laughs> oh, I think I'm four for four with the kangaroo reference uh, for Australian guests. I'll have to think about it. Let me know if I'm not. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. The name of this show is Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you so much for listening to it. This show airs on Radio Nope, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Signing off. Sometime in the morning in Melbourne. Mr. and Mrs. America. Victoria. All the ships at sea. Anyone within the sound of my voice. ProtonicReversal.com for the archives. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find this. I've got... 50,000 watts of power. Thanks for sharing it around. Thanks for letting people know about it. Uh, liking it, writing reviews, all that stuff helps. Patreon.com slash Reversal. One dollar a month. We'll get you episodes sooner if you want to hear them. This microphone turns sound into electricity. Some good stuff coming up, as always. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Can you hear me now? Stay safe. Out on Route 128, you're dark and lonely. Take it easy. I got my radio on. Take it easy. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10.
like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. Got my radio. 